Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for GWBC Radio's Open for Business. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of GWBC Open for Business. I am so excited to be talking to our guest today, Leslie Ellis, and she is with Meaningful Change Consulting. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, Lee. I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to learn about your firm. Tell us a little bit about your practice. How are you serving folks? Oh, thank you. Um, so Meaningful Change Consulting is my boutique change, strategic change consulting firm where I assist visionary executives and leaders deliver sustainable change in their organization so that they can actually achieve those results that they really want for their employees, their customers, their shareholders, and do it in a way that eliminates unnecessary rework, which we know costs them a lot of time, money, and resources. So what's your backstory? How'd you get involved in the change management? Oh, so uh, about 13, 14 years ago, I was in a kind of a management development program with a manufacturing firm. And my first assignment, I was supposed to be a human resource generalist. That was going to be my very first assignment with them. And they called me two weeks before I started the role and said, hey, we really need somebody to own our change management methodology that we had developed for us. And we need somebody to own a culture assessment because they had acquired a company the same size as them about a year earlier. Would you be willing to do this? And I was very much one of those moments of, wow, I've never I don't even really necessarily truly know what that is. I think my master's degree covered maybe a couple hours of it at most in a class. And I said, yes. And I ended up uh, spending my first year with them developing leaders in how to lead change and own their culture assessment. And a year later, when they asked me what I wanted to do for my next assignment, I said, well, I want to actually do this work. I want to lead a change. I want to help manage it and have it be successful. And I never went back. And I think that's great advice for young people out there. When you're starting out in your career, say yes a lot. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's now become my career. I realized I enjoyed it. I realized I had uh, gifts to share uh, with others. I was good at the work and I've continued to develop myself. And now here I am. I own my own consulting firm doing this exact work where I also coach others on how to do it well as well. Now, do you find that a, a lot of businesses don't handle change very well, even though the change is part of everybody's life every single day? <laughs> Uh, yes, it is. Well, I mean, part of the reason change is hard is because, well, one, it, it's got a human dynamic that's automatically involved in it. If we could just remove humans, which we can't, companies are full of them. It's very hard to anticipate what every individual is going to do, even in the collective that has a culture that's built around it and so on. And so we have a lot of convincing, we have a lot of selling to do, and we also need to make sure that they're a part of the change. And in a lot of people, a lot of leaders' minds, that means work. That means time, effort, slowing down for some in order to do that work. And to some extent, that's true. But if you really want the results of the change that you're implementing, then you need to make sure as a leader, you're setting your change up for success. Now, are there some mistakes that businesses make or business leaders make kind of time and time again, where you you enter into a situation, you're like, up oh, here we go again. You know, I may not have seen this exactly, but maybe I've seen something that rhymed with this. Yeah, there's a couple things. Well, one, I just mentioned how critical it is for leadership of an organization, whoever's leading the change and saying, 
sanctioning it or giving it the the permission to move forward, setting it up for success is so critical. So a lot of times um, leaders don't realize that they actually have to take the time up front to set some um, conditions, right? What is it going to take to be successful? What does success look like? Um, and also making sure that they have the right players to help the change be successful and engaging their people from day one. The day that they decide they're doing that change should be the day they start engaging their people if they haven't already done so before that to come up with the solution. Um, Some other uh, key things, and it's amazing to me sometimes, but we don't scope change well in organizations. There's a lot of assumptions that get made about what all is going to be included or not included in a particular change. And that can get us in trouble every time because we can underestimate what it takes to be successful. We can overestimate sometimes what it can take to be successful. So that can um, cause some havoc and some rework if we don't scope the change well. And then a third one, and it, it amazes me that we do not do this with every change in organizations, is an impact analysis. When you know what your future state solution is going to be or solutions, we should be analyzing the impact between what is current state reality and what we're trying to get them to move to and get our hands dirty understanding those gaps. If we don't understand those gaps, then how do we address them? And nine times out of 10, they don't. And then it causes rework. Now, how so long- those are three big areas that I run into all the time in my work that it, it's it's always a cause of a common cause of rework. How often is it that the leadership get together and say, OK, we're going to do this change. And then the end employee down the chain is has a totally different understanding of what the people in the C-suite think the change should be um, and the outcome that the, the C-suite desires that is totally different than what the, you know, the boots on the ground maybe think that the change is and, and why they're doing it. It can be common. Um, a lot of times you see that in the dynamics where the leadership of an organization are too many layers or just too far removed energetically from what's what's real for their frontline workers. Um, and so that might be a cultural piece um, where the leadership isn't as engaged with their front line and doesn't spend time with them and doesn't listen or ask them um, what it is that is needed, uh, what the customers need and so on. Uh, so that's usually the dynamic that creates that. The other one that's a potential is where things get created ideas, solutions, we want this outcome gets created at the top of the organization with the leaders, but they never consult with anybody else outside of the C-suite. They never, they bring consultants in, they bring all others, but they don't actually go out into the organization and say, hey, if we were trying to achieve this, what are some ideas? What would you do? And getting their buy-in early, and that is early stakeholder, that's the earliest form of stakeholder engagement, right? is asking if we're trying to achieve this as a company, right? Certain revenue, certain sales, certain cost savings, the best people to ask are your subject matter experts that live it day in and day out. Most companies and leaders have started to understand that, but there are still organizations where decisions are made and the frontline does not. They have other ideas and solutions that could be just, if not more so effective um, for the same outcomes. Yeah, that's funny. And that probably speaks of the culture of the organization, right? Because if they're not really valuing the point of view of the frontline workers, that that's probably a telling signal 
about the entire company. It, it is. And some, and listen, there's a lot, all of us, all of us in some form have our expertise and sometimes we get stuck in our expertise. Even as senior leaders, we can get stuck in our I know best moments and forget to go ask those that are closest to the, to the problem or the solution. Now, uh, for you, do you have an ideal client? Uh, is, is it a businesses of a certain size or is it more of just kind of values that you need a leader to believe kind of to be on the same page as you from a value standpoint in order to really effectively help them? Yeah. So a lot of times it is values based for me. I'm looking to work with that visionary, that intentional leader, that leader who's willing to slow down to be intentional and think about, hey, if I really want this to go well, because I'm spending $30 million on X project to achieve these outcomes, then I need to make sure that we're going to attend to this change intentionally. We're going to set it up for success and then I'm going to be a visible leader as a part of it. That is my ideal client. I will say a lot of times I tend to end up working with medium-sized corporations uh, by U.S. definition, I guess I should say medium-sized corporations that are in growth mode or in crisis mode, one of the other. A lot of times growth comes with that or large corporations who are trying to really shift their organizational culture. Now, what is the pain that they're having uh, where they should be bringing you in? Yeah, Uh, the pain that they're having is that um, they're usually trying to transform their business because of external factors, whether that's external uh, environmental factors or customer requirements that are driven by those factors. And they want to make sure that they're going to get it right, that they are going to do the work in a way that it. when I say right, I mean, they're trying to have a positive impact. Right. We're not we're not looking at change. it could even be what we perceive as negative change crisis during the pandemic. I worked with a fabulous uh, client who they had to do layoffs and furloughs like many other large corporations have done during the pandemic. But they wanted to do it well. They wanted the people to feel valued and they wanted to be able to bring back as many people as they could when it all was said and done. And in the end, it was a very smooth process. They received a lot of kudos from the people for how they did it. And they were able to bring back almost 90% of those that they furloughed back to work. Um, and those that didn't come back were because they found other jobs in the meantime. And so it's just a, it's a great kind of fairy tale story in what can be really perceived as a, this is not an ideal change that we have to do, but how can we do it in a way that it's going to be positively received that we're taking care and valuing our most important asset, which is our employees and our customers and those that help us take care of our employees, which are our managers. And it was because it was done authentically with kind of humanity. And it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of empathy there. And that speaks to the culture of the organization. Exactly. And they can, they speak well of, of that transition to this day, several years later, how can we recreate that in everything we do? Right. And that's the type of change that I enjoy working with because we're really working not just to have a successful outcome, but also working because we we care. We care about those that are involved and that those are impacted. Well, uh, if you didn't, you wouldn't put the word meaningful as part of your uh, brand. (laughs) No, I would not. Um, I'm very much about how can we, there's almost anything we do can have a positive impact if we're willing to take just a moment and consider what it is we're trying to create. 
we can we can make there's very few things that I think that I would not be able to create a positive impact out of. And that would come from a place of intention. Right. Now, are there niches that you kind of ha- have a sweet spot uh, around? Is there like certain groups you're like, oh, it's always startups or it's always SaaS firms or it's always this certain type of organization? Yeah, I end up finding that I really do enjoy those that. Um, uh, so I end up in manufacturing. I end up in frontline service organizations. Um, I do enjoy working with family-owned companies, which is which is interesting. I've done some work there as well, um, and I'm just really finding that where I enjoy, and I've done financial services, and I've done some of the other organizations that, you know, you're always dressed up, you're always buttoned up, right? (laughs) You're always looking just so fabulous people in those organizations and thoroughly enjoyed my time there. But I do find that I enjoy the camaraderie that tends to happen in some of the more industrial um, sectors of business. Yeah, I've had the the opportunity to work with some family-owned businesses, and I didn't realize how unique those entities are. Um, the dynamics there are not um, the same as a traditional business, and I wasn't aware of kind of uh, a, a lot that goes on there that's that's really different than a traditionally run business. There's they're fun. There there's something fun and play more playful about them. Um, I'm trying to f- feel the adjectives like what I feel when I work with that, those groups. Um, there's it's usually a lot more authenticity comes through. Um, it's maybe a few less layers as a result in their hierarchy, but there's more fun, more playfulness, more realness that comes to the forefront in those conversations. Um, and there's not maybe as much polit. There's politics in it, but it, it's not showing up in the same way it can in some other um, larger organizations that are a bit more buttoned up. Um, now, I've done work in all of them and I enjoy them all. Again, it goes back to the intent of the leadership and what we're trying to create with the change uh, where I orient. But I definitely have a sweet spot for uh, those that I can have a little bit more fun and play with. Now, uh, for you, why was it important for you uh, to become part of GWBC and become a woman certified business? Yeah, it's a wonderful question. So um, I really decided I needed as part of my entrepreneurial journey, because I've really been an entrepreneur for over seven years now. And when I last year, I've gotten a lot clearer on what it is that I want to do and how I want to do it and how I want to show up in the world. And with that, I realized if I'm going to do this, then I need to do this well. And one of the ways to do this well is to broaden my network and also support other women-owned business, other, excuse me, other women-owned businesses. And I need to make sure that I'm showing up with those same women. And so I decided to join and uh, in process, I'm pending for both of my WBE and my WOSB certifications, hopefully by the end of the year, fingers crossed. And, um, you know, I'm just starting to take advantage of the resources, including yesterday, I just booked for uh, the spring um, conference in Nashville for my room. So I'm very excited about the networking and the connections that can come with this uh, engagement as well. Yeah, it's a very um, collaborative community and a lot of folks rooting for each other and helping each other grow, um, not just in business, but personally as well. um, And having... Uh, learn from each other in terms of, hey, I, 
I've seen that. I've seen this. This is how I handled this or this worked for me or didn't. Uh, those kind of conversations really bear fruit in growing a firm. We have to support each other. I think we're all looking for community. Entrepreneurialism can, uh, I think they call it a solopreneur for a reason, right? Because a lot of times it can feel like we're out there on a branch by ourselves and trying to figure it out. And we have to find our communities. It might be more than one, but um, I think it's important to have that community that's helping to carry you when that, that day or that moment when maybe you're not strong enough to carry yourself, but you have that energy to help pick you up and keep you going. Now, do you have any advice for businesses out there that maybe they're not ready yet for your services, but they want, they, they see change ahead? Um, is there anything they could be doing, any low hanging fruit that they can be doing on their own in order to um, get this going in as smooth and productive way as possible? Yes. Um, I would tell those leaders, really sit down and think to yourself, if we're going to do this strategic initiative, if we're going to move in this direction, what truly is required for us to be successful with it? What's required? Like, honestly, reflect and ask yourself, what is it going to take? Is it going to be more than money, more than people? What is it going to take? What kind of things should we be thinking about? What are the worst case scenarios and how might we address them and so on? And so those are the things that I would advise is like a low hanging fruit coming up for 2023 strategic planning They're all in that right now as senior leaders. Be thinking about what does this mean? What is it going to take? It might even include that there's some changes you have underway that you have to weigh whether or not they're the priority or is this new change coming up the priority and how are you going to handle that in your organization? There's more change going on in corporate world today than ever before. So really just maybe even taking an hour or two over the holidays and jotting some notes down about what is it going to take to make this successful will really help you understand what it is that you're asking your teams, your employees, your organization to implement. Yeah. When you start looking at kind of imagining the end in mind and keeping that at the fore and say, okay, what would this look like? Best case scenario. What would that look like in the day-to-day life of all my people, not just, you know, the executives. And then also what would be the worst case scenario if we implement this and what's the most terrible thing that we, we missed the boat completely. What's that going to look like? And then once you start thinking in those terms, Uh, then you realize, wow, I wish I had some uh, trusted advisor that I could have as part of this conversation to, because that's just the obvious stuff that I'm thinking, but to get fresh eyes on this and, and, and partner with somebody like you or your firm, it adds another dimension to really flesh out all the possibilities so that when you do address this change, that you're doing it effectively and as productively as possible. Yeah, Lee, you are spot on. And I would even maybe add a third question into that, which can be really insightful. What if we don't do this? Yeah, which is tends to be the default for a lot of people is uh, let's just let's kick this can down the road and we'll deal with this next year or this will be somebody else's problem next year. Yep. And what if we don't and what if we don't do it well? Right. And so those are your questions. They're fabulous questions. And time of the year. Tis the time of the year, right? To be reflecting. And as leaders, that's where all of uh, we should be thinking when we're planning for our next year's change efforts. Well, if somebody wants to learn more about your firm, uh, get a hold of you or somebody on your team, what is the website? What is the best way to connect with you? Yeah, thank you for that, Lee. We're MeaningfulChangeConsulting.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn at Meaningful Change Consulting. 
Um, or you can contact me directly um, at Leslie at MeaningfulChangeConsulting.com. Um, happy to be of service um, to anybody, even if it's just exploring what it is that they're thinking that they're heading into. So I appreciate that opportunity um, to help anybody who needs help with change because it can be done well. It well, can be done well. Leslie, congratulations on all the success and um, you're doing important work and we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, Lee. I appreciate your time and uh, for sharing this with all of our constituents. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on GWBC, Open for Business.